him in all things. And as we live to follow Jesus, we have to become acquainted with his voice. And also we have to be acquainted with what it is that we see our Father doing. Jesus said that he only did what he saw the Father doing. Part of how God trained Jesus to be able to see what he was doing was through recognizing the Logos design in everything. And so Jesus, as a little boy, all up, he, he, he studied scripture, he meditated on it, and then he began to see the design pattern of God in everything so that he could see what his father was doing. Uh, there was some mystical, supernatural part where he was able just to see what God was doing. And there was a part of him that had been so transformed by his meditation and by his heart and by his character that he could just see what God was doing in a situation and circumstance. And so he didn't have to always have that sense of like, God saying to Jesus, thus says, now go and do. He could just become aware that, oh, this is the design of God in this moment. I need to step into it. And so that's, that's what we become as little L Logos is worked out in the very image of God and the very likeness of Jesus over the course of time. And so I want to show you today how to do that. Um, I'm going to do that through following the passage of Hebrews 4. We're looking at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. He's able to empathize us with us and our weaknesses. He is able in every single way to give us grace because he was tempted in every way that you and I have been, yet he did not sin. So, you know, if you're anything like me, there's times where you feel so weak against the temptation of sin. And you're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to get past this, Lord. I don't know how to get through this today. And so we, we ask. He's a high priest. We, Jesus, help us out. And he gives us grace in that part of our life to give us the capacity to overcome sin. And then sometimes we, we succumb to sin. And he gives us mercy in that place, as it tells us in verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because sometimes we fall and we need the mercy of God to restore us and the grace of God to empower us back. We are not meant to be those that continue on in sin because we are so weak that we continue on in sin. We are those who receive grace and become powerful in the world to overcome all sin, eventually leading to becoming a city of God, helping the city of man recognize that its destiny has always been the throne room of God. And so today, let's find, a, let's find the design pattern of what it is to be a high priest because as you understand, Jesus is a high priest. In the Greek, it's this, it's this ruling, it's this holy ruler as it is there, you find yourself because you're called to be made a priest like Jesus. Did you know that? You were called to be a priesthood of believers? You need to become a, like a little priest. So let's figure out what the design of a priest is. We're going to go look at anointing and oil. So buckle up. I'm going to try to do this as succinctly and efficiently as possible, but we're going to cover the entirety of Scripture, okay? <laughs> So in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth, over the waters, sorry. And that, that word fluttering is only used in the Hebrew when it talks about birds. The only time that that word is used in the Hebrew is when the author is talking about birds. And the Holy Spirit was fluttering over the waters. And as we see in verse, um, I'll actually skip down, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Jesus, uh, God then comes to man and he says, let's make man in our image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air 
and over the livestock and over all the creation and over everything that's out there. And so then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female. And then he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. So there's two things that I'm going to point out in this passage. The first is that this is the first time an anointing is ever given in the scriptures. We know it's an anointing because God comes, he hovers over, and he fills man with his spirit. He forms him out of the dust of the ground. He forms him with mud and water. He forms him also with the spirit of God. And that's considered the first anointing that God gives to mankind. He comes down and he forms mankind. Man was not a life from heaven until the spirit of the Lord breathed into his nostrils and he became alive. We see that it's possible in scripture to be alive but it's also possible in Scripture not to be fully alive. You know, there are, there are animals that have breath in them, but they're not fully alive and awakened to consciousness of God uh, because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. It's possible to be a human being and have breath in you, but not be fully alive and awakened to God because you don't have the Spirit of God in you because we have been fallen. And so this is to establish a bit that, first of all, the anointing of God is here, but two, also, we have our first example of what it means to, have, to be a priest, so earlier I said that in the Greek, we are rulers, or Christ was a holy ruler. Here at the very beginning, he says, you are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over them. And so right from the very, very beginning, mankind was meant to be rulers, was meant to be a priest, having dominion in a garden. So the context of man and woman being created was in a garden. And the first thing that man and woman saw when they awakened their eyes was, was the Father with a delightful face upon them, breathing his breath into them with a holy kiss. The first experience of mankind was being kissed by God in a garden. And they were called in that garden to make all things cultivated like God and the Father would, in beauty and in harmony and in shalom and peace, and making things multiply. That was their call. It's a beautiful call. They're called to create culture that cultivated beauty. They were called to create wisdom and knowledge that recorded beauty and, and figured out the design pattern of God to help this garden create all over the whole world. And so in Genesis 2, there was, there was no bush of the field and yet no land or small part of the field had yet sprung up. So everything was a wilderness. So it starts with this chaotic, watery wasteland. God raises up land and it's a wasteland. It's a desert. There's nothing there. There's no bush, no plant in the field, for the Lord had caused it, not caused it yet to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And so, first of all, the Lord had not caused it to rain, so because of that, there wasn't any small plants of the field and no bush or anything like that that was there yet. So it was a wasteland, so he needed to get water, and then there was no person to work the ground, so he needed to create man. And so... Part of the creation narrative in Genesis 1, he, he gives you the blanket statement. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he begins to find detail how creation began to exist. And so then in order to have plants and these things thrive, you need to have water. Water is a symbol also of the anointing. And so you're going to see water flood the land and out of water coming, land uh, plants are going to come up. And so water equals life. And that's going to be a symbol you see throughout all of Scripture, through the prophets, everywhere you look at and you see water, God is pointing us back to the garden and saying, when water comes, life happens. 
When the breath of God comes, life happens for people. Eternal life happens. And so there's, there's water and then there's spirit. Both of them are giving life and they're returning us back to the garden. It's there to help us to remember that you and I as priests are made to rule. You and I as priests are made to have dominion, create culture, expand that beauty and shalom everywhere we go. I know I'm going fast. You guys are going to get this because you have ears to hear. The Spirit of God is speaking to you and hovering over every single one of you. And these words I'm giving to you will bring forth life. All right, <clears throat> we're having fun today. And so it was then, uh, so then God, uh, bu- 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 he, uh, he formed the mist, so he brought out the water, and then he formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. And he became a living creature at that point. Up until then, he wasn't a living creature. Up until you have the Spirit of God in you, you are not a living creature. There are zombies out in the world that are not living creatures. They look like us, but until they have the Spirit of God in them, they are not a living creature. I'm not meaning to be disrespectful. That's just the Word of God. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. Eden means delight in Hebrew, among other things. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So after man was created, suddenly fruit-bearing trees happened. And so in the consciousness of the Hebrew mind, wherever you are alive, there is meant to be fruitfulness. So as as we meditate on the design of God, we see that we're we're created to rule, we're created to be in a a garden of delight, knowing our Father, knowing that we're children, and that we know as, as little priests all these things. That everywhere we go, fruitfulness is going to follow. It's just, it's just our design and it's our DNA. You can't help it. Once you're connected to that belovedness in a garden of rest and delight in God, you are fruitful everywhere you go. That is your design pattern. That is what you're called to do. John uh, would record Jesus saying later on in John 15 that if you abide in the vine, in the garden, you will bear much fruit. Why is Jesus saying that? Because it was written all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. It's the design pattern of all creation. Jesus isn't saying new things. He did say new things. But for the most part, he's referencing back to what had already always been the design of God. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Freedom, this is symbolic of freedom, the knowledge of good and bad. That's a symbol of freedom. We were given freedom to choose God or not. So everywhere you are, there's freedom to choose God or freedom not to. There's freedom to be fruitful or freedom not to. As a priest, as a ruler, you have the authority to bring in life or death, goodness or evil, everywhere you go. That is your design. And so we've seen how the city of man has created badness, has created evil. That's, that's apparent everywhere we go. The city of God, who you are all created to be, are those that out of the garden creates life. You have that freedom to choose and you have that power to do so. In Exodus 30, we're going to have a little fun now. <laughs> The Lord now, he's talking to Moses. And, and God has taken Moses up to a high place. And then he took Moses even further up into the heavens. And he showed Moses the design pattern of the temple of God, the tabernacle. And so if you would remember between the garden and Moses, there was the fall of man. And there was you know, centuries and more of the depression of man continually trying to meet God and failing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so God says, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to set apart a leader named Moses, and I'm going to show him what it's like to have worship restored now. I'm going to create a temple or a tabernacle of God, but I need to make sure that they know that it's holy. 
because Moses is going to be a ruler now, restored in my image. And so he takes Moses, and he says, I'm going to teach you about anointing oil as a priest. And so he takes the finest spices, and I want you to smell these things. Myrrh. It's this amazing little resin that they come up with in the, the, the Southeast Asia or other places like this. And if you guys know what myrrh smells like, it's this astonishingly fragrant uh, you know, fragrance. There's a sweet-smelling cinnamon. We love cinnamon. hope you guys love cinnamon. We've got a daughter of mine that says that she doesn't like cinnamon, and I was like, I don't know where you're coming from. <laughs> Cinnamon's amazing. Cinnamon evokes these just, just, just mouth-watering flavors, and, 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 and you mix it with butter and, and sugar. and <laughs> It's amazing. Maybe next week on Christmas Eve, we have some, uh, you know, someone bring some cinnamon buns for us, you know, some cinnamon rolls. That would be, that'd be a Christmas, wouldn't it? We celebrate birthdays in our house with cinnamon rolls. They are they're amazing. We've got aromatic cane in there. That's actually, we don't really know exactly what that is, but we can think of maybe some sugar cane that, that smells amazing. We, we have cassia, which is this uh, bark of a tree. And we have uh, uh, a hen of olive oil. So we mix all these things together. And what's interesting about this, because we're going to take the olive oil, and we're going to take these spices, and we're going to remember that we are priests. We're going to remember that we are made from a garden. We're going to remember when we have this anointing oil that we are to smell the fragrance of God all around us. That as priests, as little priests like Jesus, fruitfulness all around, made for the garden of delight from the Father's heart and love, we are meant to have this sweet-smelling fragrances all around us. And so the anointing oil was created to remind us of that and keep that upon us and keep that in our mind and keep that in our heart. So that, you know, if you've ever been in an incense room or something like that, I mean, you kind of feel like you're being taken up into a different place, right? Elizabeth and I, we had the you know, honor a few years ago to go to Israel. And you, you have these little pockets there where you just walk down the street and you smell incense. And you feel like you're walking in some foreign land. You are, but you feel like you're actually walking in some kind of like foreign, you know, spiritual realm somewhere. You're just like, wow, I'm, I'm in a magic land. This is amazing. And it's because that we were designed in a garden to have the fruitfulness of things all around us and smell these things. Interestingly enough, these things on its own, as it's found in the garden, wouldn't smell like anything at all until you crush them. You crush an oil, uh, an olive, and you get oil that comes out of it. You get fat and water. You crush these you know, barks and, and these leaves and that kind of stuff and, 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 and destroy them, and they become these aromic things. And so somehow in the, the mind of the Hebrew understanding of things that God had given to them through these instructions, they were to understand that anointing, life, was going to come out of crushing and that the priests were to represent this through the oil. That there was a crushing that was going to happen, and it was going to bring forth life and remind us of the spirit which breathed life into us, the waters that bring life into the world. And everywhere you see this in the scriptures, this is a symbol of life, but the mystery of the crushing wasn't fulfilled until I think you and I know when that happens. And so you anoint the tent of meeting, you anoint the ark where the, the word of God was, you anoint everything around it with their... And then you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they shall serve me as priests. And so the priests were anointed with oil. They were anointed with the fragrance of heaven, of, of Eden itself, as a reminder of what we were created for, of dominion, of ruling, of creating beauty in these things. And then with that anointing, they were to go and they were to minister to the people of God specific things. Leviticus. You guys were just waiting for a Leviticus sermon, weren't you? 
Leviticus, fascinating one. So Leviticus 12 through 15 is talking about ritual purity and how to remain pure and clean before God. And so there's a lot of issues in there with blood and things that come out of the body. It's a very interesting read. Wonderful if you have parents of young kids to just let your kids read these things. It's amazing. <laughs> it's in the Bible. But I want to highlight a couple things. God said to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child or a female, then she shall be unclean for seven days because blood has come out of her. And so it's interesting. She is declared unclean at that point. And when the days of her purifying are complete, seven days, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a dove, this is really important, for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Priest, filled with heaven, knowing the Father's delight, in a place of garden, is declaring someone clean before God. The design of God for priests declares someone as a ruler, whether or not they're clean or not, whether they can enter back into the garden or not. That's the priestly call to invite people back into the garden. Clean, unclean. It sounds strange to our modern ears why anyone would be considered impure and anyone considered unclean because we want to be so inclusive about everything else. But understanding who God is as holy, he requires us to be like he is to have fellowship with him. And we cannot have fellowship with God when we ourselves are unholy or unclean. And so that was symbolic of so many issues in the uh, Hebrew world under the covenant that was training them on this idea of holiness. And so blood would come out because there was, and it was life and other issues that were going on with the body disease and these kind of things, they would declare someone unclean because of these things. You couldn't be near God because God is perfect. He is holy. You, however, as a priest, he was saying, can make them clean. They have to sacrifice. They have to use these doves, for instance, or pigeons, or a lamb. There's, there's a ton of symbolism that's about to come and hit you in the face with these things. Why doves? <clears throat> Let me get to... Uh, you know, I missed out on one passage here, and I'm going to have to excuse me. So I'm going to go to uh, Genesis chapter 8, if you guys would look at me. I don't have it on here, so I'm going to zoom to it. In Genesis chapter 8, we have an account of Noah and the flood. It's a fascinating account. You guys know it. You've heard it from the time that you were a kid. But you may not have known that in it were the very design patterns of God, foundational to being a priest like you are. So let's look at Genesis chapter 8. And if you remember, there was a flood. God said that he was unhappy with how man was, was becoming. They were, in every single way, violent. Their, their thoughts were filled with, with lust and violence at all times. And he was sorry that he made mankind. And so he sends this flood, and he says, to purify the earth. And then the flood recedes in, verse, in chapter 8. And it says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock. So he remembered the garden-like thing called an ark. And then he sent a wind to blow across the earth. And the floodwaters began to recede. So in chapter 8, verse 1, he sends a wind like a spirit that 
in this case, it doesn't flutter. It blows across the waters. And whereas before the earth came out of the waters, now the wind blows and the waters begin to recede and up comes out of the water, again, the mountaintops, the new creation. So this is a whole new account of creation that's happening in Genesis chapter 8. It's, it's a recreation event. The waters begin to recede. The underground waters have stopped flowing and then they began to recede over the earth. And after two and a half months, the waters continued to go down and the mountaintops became visible. And after some time, 40 days, Noah opened up the window and he made the boat and released a raven and it flew back and forth and came back. And then also he released a dove in verse 8 of chapter 8 to see if the water needed, uh, had receded and it could find uh, dry ground. At first the dove came back without nothing, without anything. And then Noah waited another seven days. So seven days, we saw that in Leviticus. Noah released the dove again. And this time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in his beak. Why did God choose oil, olive oil in particular, to be part of the anointing oil? Why did God choose the dove to find an olive in this case? It's all speaking to this design pattern that there is an anointing that comes from the oil after it's being crushed, and there's a purification that is symbolic of this. So the olive is there to show that, hey, you can be pure again. You can be purified again. There, there, there is oil for you here. The Spirit of God, like a dove, is hovering over all the creation, and it finds a resting spot, and it, and, it, and it pulls back an olive. So not only is it recreating all things, it's cleansing all things again, not only by the waters, but also now by the Spirit. Are you guys seeing this pattern? Yeah. It's designed everywhere. Are you guys seeing who you are called to be in the midst of this? <clears throat> and so we see this. And then now we're going to go into Isaiah 44. Again, I told you guys we're doing the whole scriptures. Isaiah 44, but now you, O Jacob, my servant, hear. Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Again, we're called to be Jacob and, and all this line of Israel. They were called to be priests. They were called to be rulers. They were called to be those who formed the city of God. Fear not. Whom you have, uh, Jeshua, who have I, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land. And go back to Genesis chapter 2. There was a wasteland. There was nothing yet formed. I will pour water out again. He's talking about people here now, though, right? So now we're talking about prophetic language. So it's not just land here. Think about symbolically. There's a people out there that are dry. I'm going to send water on them. They were meant to be priests. They were meant to be like a garden, fruitful in all things. I'm going to send the waters to them, and I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing to your descendants, and they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Where is this language coming from? This is chapter 2 again. You guys see it all. It's a design pattern. But God is saying over and over and over again the same thing. Water, spirit, life, priestly anointing. Why is it there? To bring forth fruitfulness in your own life. As priests, this is what we're called to be, a fresh-smelling garden, fruitful in all these kind of ways. This is your destiny. This is who you are called to be. And then we see it finally here in Luke chapter 3. This is when Jesus now is on the scene. And so up until now, all these things that we're talking about were symbols. They were symbols of the Holy Spirit. They were symbols of life. They were spirit, uh, symbols of what true rulership looked like. Because it hadn't yet fully been realized. Up until now, mankind had continually failed. 
even though they had all these wonderful blessings of God. And so God, to, to bring all creation to culmination, packs all these symbols together, and there's so much more that I'm not even talking about, but he, he packs all the design together. And Jesus steps in, and one day when the crowds are being baptized, Jesus steps in the waters. The waters of chaos. The sea of humanity was there and all their sinfulness. Jesus steps into the middle of that. He goes under the waters like a death. He gets baptized in the waters. And then he comes out. And as he does, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit comes down in bodily form and descending on him like a dove. Matthew would say, resting on him. So the, the, the symbol being really clear. You know, right from the very beginning, the, the spirit fluttered like a bird. We see later that doves are the way that you can become holy and pure again through their sacrifice. Now we see the dove. It was sent out from Moses. And the first time it was sent out, it found an olive. The second time the dove was sent out, it never came back. But now it's come back. The dove is finally found again here in Luke chapter 3. It went out from, from Noah and never really found a resting place again. Never again in Scripture is it recorded that that dove found a resting place. But here on Jesus, the dove settles in and rests on Jesus like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, You are my dearly beloved Son, and you bring me great joy. Where is that coming from? What's the first thing that happened with mankind is they woke up being formed in the image of God. It was the, the face of a father kissing his son, kissing his daughter, giving them the delight of this garden. In you I am well pleased. You are so beloved. This is a restoration of creation happening all over again. Out of the waters, new creation is happening. Jesus now, though, therefore, is no longer a symbol of it. He is life. Jesus is purification. In him is all those things wrapped up into a person called the Logos, the design of God. It's not simply that we are waiting any longer for that pattern to happen, that we have to go up to a mountaintop to see. Now the, the design pattern is here. It's in Jesus, and he's there in bodily form. We know his story. We know what happens over the course of his life. We know all that he does. He gets baptized here. He goes out into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he's tempted. 40 days, he's tried. Out of the desert, then, he comes and he has power because out of the wilderness comes a garden. He was tempted in every way, in every single way that he was tempted, like you and I are tempted. He was found sinless as a high priest. The devil had no place in him, and because of that, the power of God rested and stayed on him. And all that Jesus did from that point forward, was to reveal what it looked like to be a true ruler of Israel. Everywhere he went, he was restoring the garden. He was healing the sick. He was touching the lepers. You didn't have to go sacrifice with doves and lambs to go get cleansed. The sacrifice was already there in Jesus touching the people, and they were getting healed and cleansed right now by the finger of God that was upon them. It was upon him because the design, the logos of God, was right in their midst. The Spirit of God was resting and remaining. Everything that he did, the Spirit did. Everything that Jesus said, the Spirit said. They were one. They were in unity. That's the design pattern. That's the holy ruler of God stepping into creation. He healed everything that he touched. Everyone who came to him was healed. Jesus then said back uh, in John chapter 20, he gets resurrected. And so, uh, let, me, let me back this up. 
he's crucified as the Lamb of God, and, and the story is amazing. You look back in, in John. And then for three days, he's underground, and he gets resurrected. And for some time, he shows up in different places. But the first time he shows up to all of his disciples, the very first thing he gives to them is peace, is shalom, is harmony, is a garden, is a spiritual garden now inside of them. He breathes upon them and says, my peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, he breathed upon them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? He's anointing them. He is recreating mankind now. He is giving to us his Holy Spirit. No matter the condition that you and I are in, it's available because Jesus has given that to us. I am sending you, he says, sending you to do what? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you cleanse them, they are clean. If you withhold cleansing, they are withheld being cleansed. So you are priests. Jesus, the big L, comes and gives you, the little L, the same call and anointing, the same design pattern that he had to restore all of humanity back to a garden, back to a father. That's who you are. That's your identity. Think about ruling. You now rule. How do you rule? Through forgiveness. The first entry point of ruling is mercy. We do not conquer by violence, by swords. We don't conquer by guns. We don't conquer by violence. And we don't conquer by bullying, by fear. We conquer by forgiveness and mercy. Through forgiveness and mercy, we are restored to being cleansed. We are restored back to the garden where we can hear back for ourselves, you are my beloved daughter, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Out of you, therefore, is a garden that's going to flow out of you. The mercy of God flowing from you, cleansing all the people. And if you do not, then people will not be cleansed. And just to make sure that you don't feel like you've got some kind of ability over people to withhold them from heaven, Jesus says if you do not forgive, then you will not be forgiven yourself. In another passage, he says, as you forgive, so also will you be forgiven. Because Jesus, as our leader and high priest, he forgave everybody. And so the design of God is forgiveness and mercy. No questions asked. And so it's not simply, will you forgive? You know? But again, we are, we are given a, a tree of knowledge of good and bad. We are given freedom as rulers. And so will you step into your design and give mercy and forgiveness to all who come across you, all who come your way. And the second way that this is fulfilled is by preaching the gospel. Some say, I, I, will, I will expand that even more by just by living a lifestyle of gospel goodness. You declare forgiveness and mercy. Uh, and there's more to it, obviously, that you have to declare these things. You have to forgive people at, at all times. So, so a, a lot of times, the reason why sometimes Christians are persecuted more than most, and I'm not trying to develop a, a martyrdom syndrome or a victim mentality with us, but the reason why you are attacked in culture is so that you can forgive culture. Christians around this line that complain so much that we have it so hard. We are to be crushed. I don't, there's, no, there's no way around this, friends. The design of God, if you want the anointing of God upon you to flow through you, is to be crushed. 
And so if we want to be a Christian nation, you know, we want to, we want to talk about that, uh, you're, you're going to have to be persecuted. You're going to have to be crushed. You're going to have to have laws that are unjust against you. And then you're going to have to forgive those people. And, and so the reason why it happens to you, it's, it's supposed to happen to you. You're supposed to collect those things and then forgive those things so that just in the same way that Jesus himself forgave all those things and the Spirit poured out at Pentecost after that to fulfill Joel 2, that the Spirit of God will come upon all mankind, is through your forgiveness. You are the little priest around the land. The reason why Jesus didn't fulfill all of it at that one time is because he wanted you to become like him, step into the design that you were originally created into, and as a result, step into suffering love, suffering sanctifying love. Suffering love because you're going to get hurt by people. Sanctifying love because you're going to be forgiving people. That's the call of God upon you. It's to suffer with Christ in these ways. And therefore, bring forth a garden that first steps up with mercy and forgiveness. And then we build upon it with creating culture and beauty and shalom and all these different ways of creating justice in the world. That's our call. And it's, it's beautiful. Any questions? <laughs> So this is how we can go and look at the Logos design pattern throughout scriptures and see your identity. This is just one aspect of it. We just looked at being, this is just one aspect of being a priest. But imagine continuing every single day when you're at home by yourself and, and, and reading the scriptures or within a group and discovering the design in the passages. Because in discovering the design, you discover your identity. This is how we begin to work through meditation. This is how we begin to work into our identity. This is how we begin to see our Father in all things is by taking the design, owning it, and then living it out. Starts with mercy. That's how, that's how we're called to be, as mercy givers. And so I, I, uh, I want us to, uh, to take communion here in a moment. Um, I also have asked our elders, uh, as you want to receive, you can, uh, to anoint you with oil. And so as you come up, you're going to receive communion. And if you want to, they will anoint you with oil. Uh, you know, normally that's just taking the sign of the cross on your forehead with the oil that they have. And it's a symbol. And the reason for the symbol now is to give you confidence that you are that now. Like you're not God, but you have the Holy Spirit in you now as a priest. If you want to release the Spirit in your life, and you want to guarantee that it's released in your life every single time, if, if you want to flow in the Holy Spirit, find someone to forgive and forgive them. Every single time you do that, the Spirit of God moves. If you want to go out and have fun with, with, with this flow of anointing, go preach the gospel. Every time you preach the gospel, every time you evangelize, every single time, the Spirit of God is released. Why? Because that's the design of God for humanity to step into. And as you do, you declare the garden of God for every person through mercy. If you want to have a fun afternoon, go preach the gospel somewhere. Go to the streets, share with them who Jesus is. If you, want to, if you want to have a garden flowing out of you, sometimes we, we as Christians, we don't know why. Why am I stopped up? Well, maybe you're not forgiving or maybe you're not preaching. And this isn't for me. I'm here to equip you to do this. You guys come here and hang out with me. I'm telling you, you guys go out and, and do this around the city. You guys are going to turn the city of Charlotte upside down. You know that? That's who you're called to be. So uh, let me prepare the table along with Reed and then uh, come up. We will pray for you. We will ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you afresh. And, uh, and it's good to ask for an infilling continually of the Holy Spirit. Ask him continually to fill you by the Spirit. Day by day, fill me, Holy Spirit. This is my daily bread as you.
Father, I give you thanks that your son Jesus, our high priest, has restored our design. Genuinely, Dad, we would have, I would have no idea what my identity, what my calling was, if your son didn't reveal it plainly like he has. So I give you thanks for that. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to be crushed, to produce beauty and fragrance in a garden. Thank you for proclaiming us clean and pure. Father, everyone who is in here is a, a priest. And in the name of Jesus, as, as we take and eat of the bread of God and drink of his, of his vine, we are taking in Christ again. I, I declare over them that they are clean. To everyone hearing this right now, I declare over you that you are clean. You are pure. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. I declare over you that you are restored to the garden, that you are restored to, de to delight. I declare over you that you are restored to the face-to-face -face intimacy of a father kissing his kid, breathing new life into you every day, that that is your design to receive that every day. And today I declare that afresh for you. Welcome back to the garden. Welcome back to the Father's delight. Welcome back to his table. Welcome back to that. Father, where at times the, the difficulties and pains of this life have seemed like they are too much to even forgive, I ask God for grace because there was nothing too great that your son could not forgive. And so I bless him with grace today, right now, to forgive and to release everyone that had maybe hurt them, hurt anyone in this room. And as a priest, you step into your design. You're blessed when you do so. Father, on the night that your son Jesus was betrayed, he took the, the design of God fully revealed in him, and he broke bread revealing that one day he would break his body, that all would be returned to you. As we feast on Jesus and believe in him afresh today, restore us back by experience the manifestation of your Holy Spirit again. Thank you, Father.